You are listening to the MJ Sportscast. Recapping the latest games, getting you up to date on the latest sports news, and providing our exciting Bay Area picks. This is the MJ Sportscast with your hosts, Mike Tang and Jerry Yang. Hello, everyone, and we are back again for another week here. NBA Finals edition of the MJ Sportscast. Myself, Mike Tang, I'm joined by my co-host every week, Jerry. Jerry Yang, how are you doing today, man? Man, amped up, you know, ready for the Warriors and Celtics Finals. Um, You know, I think this is awesome. You know, I think one thing that I've um, come to realize or actually thinking back on is before um, COVID hit is when the Warriors were in the NBA Finals, you know, and then now the two years later, we see them back in. Um, it felt a lot longer, you know, for but it's only been two years, which kind of surprises me, I guess. And, you know, we can get deep into the series, but, you know, just them making it this far, I think is also a huge accomplishment. And, you know, we always talk about not wasting Steph Curry's good years and his prime. And I felt like the Warriors are doing a good job by not doing that, right? So by making it in the finals, that, that shows me a lot. And I hope we get it done, you know. And I'm looking forward to the series. I think this is going to be one of the tougher challenges for the Warriors. But, you know, got to beat the best to be the best, right? So I guess during those two years when they were not in the finals, did you think the Warriors were ever going to come back to this stage again? Oh, I mean, it's hard to say, right? I mean, mainly there's a lot of question marks around Clay Thompson. Don't know who we're going to draft, you know, um, and just how resilient this team really is in terms of having the top three players being paid, being Steph Curry, Clay, and Draymond. They're locking up a lot of contract money. You know, so and then you have Wiggins in there who's also paid a lot. That doesn't leave you a lot of room for death, right? And then the Warriors manage to figure out and get some gem pieces like GP2 and Otto Porter and um, JTA and others to help them with this championship push, you know. And that, that to me was really impressive, right? Is to make a team this deep given their salary constraints um, and their, ca- their own personal cap constraints, not dip into that luxury tax for the NBA. So that that to me is pretty impressive. And, you know, them being able to pull that off um, did surprise me, I think. I think the way that they were able to construct this team um, here with the core three plus Wiggins and also not cave into the Lakers way in which they just basically try to buy out a lot of these veteran players and you saw how that pan out, right? Where mm-hmm. the Lakers basically deteriorated mid season, didn't make the playoffs, may lose LeBron James this off season here. And then you also have an aging Anthony Davis as mm-hmm. one of your riding superstars. Um, the Warriors, they kind of gambled with the way they approached it where they were thinking, well, you know what? We're just going to go with our veteran roster here, and we're not going to add to that. We're not going to add Avery Bradley, right, as opposed mm-hmm. to just kind of signing GP3. We're not going to trade away our draft picks, right? They instead drafted guys like Weissman. They drafted guys like Moses Moody. 
um, here who's able to contribute. But we'll see. We'll see how the NBA finals will be because the narrative will change if the Warriors lose in the finals, right? Mm -hmm. And then people will start second guessing why they didn't add more veteran players to the roster. But right now it looks pretty good the way it's uh, constructed. Yeah, and the Warriors got healthy at the right time and got the momentum going during the right time, right? And that's why they're in this finals. And to me, I feel like health is the only thing that can prevent them from prevailing here. You know, I think I know the Celtics talent-wise is probably more talented, but none of them have any NBA finals experience, you know, where as the Warriors have over 100 games combined of NBA finals experience on their roster. So it's, uh, to me, the better coaching seems to pull through. And I think Curry or Kerr is a better coach here. Um, and uh, we'll see. It's going to be a close series, but I, I do like our chances here. So, You know, I'm looking at our show notes here that you helped prepare prior to the show. And you mentioned about the Warriors and Celtics matchup and how Vegas has the Warriors favored um, here going in. But this statistical analysis site called 538 gives the Warriors a 20% chance of winning the finals. Does that mean that 80% of that goes to Boston? Yeah. Then? Exactly. Okay. How do you feel about how do you feel about that statistical analysis from that website here, as opposed to Vegas just giving the Warriors flat out odds of winning it all? You know what? That site though also predicted that Memphis would take out the Warriors as well. They also predicted that Donald Trump wouldn't win 2016 election, right? So I think even though it's supposed to be unbiased, it's taking in statistical analysis and looking at matchups and there's like algorithms they use to generate those odds. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't always translate to predicting the future as accurately as you think it does, right? So, you know, I... I don't buy into that 20% chance. To me, it's really a 50-50, in my opinion, and maybe 60 leading the Warriors, you know? But I think given the matchups and given the regular season and Kerr's record against Boston is probably why it's building to be 20%, right? I think a lot of people did mention um, Kerr has a bad record against the Celtics um, throughout his time with the Warriors, you know? And I think that factors a lot into... Um, that's analysis. And I think Vegas um, usually gets it pretty close here, but even their odds kind of change as the series goes on, right? So if the Warriors lose game one, all of a sudden Warriors won't be favored anymore, you know? So you can't really read into the lines too much as well. Um, I think in the first two or three games, we'll kind of know where we stand, you know? Um, I think that's going to be more telling than all these sites, but... What do you think? Do you buy into that 20% or or where do you lean towards? I don't really buy it at this point because I haven't really seen their statistical um, analysis of the situation um, here. If they backed it up with some substantial real stats on why Boston would be would be favored, um, maybe yeah. it would maybe it would kind of you know waver me towards one end or the other but at this point right you kind of have to look at how boston has been playing as a whole right and it's not like they're sweeping teams in the eastern conference you know they're being pushed to the edge you know every single every single playoff series 
right? And they had to go seven games to to beat a really depleted Heat team, right? And then they're going to be pretty tired, I think. The fatigue factor will play in eventually. And Mm -hmm. if I was to kind of analyze this series, I think the Warriors have a little bit more firepower to overcome that Celtics defense um, here. The fact that they also have home court advantage throughout the seven-game series is going to loom large. Mm-hmm. And I also think we have the best player in the in the series so far, and that's Steph Curry. What do you think? You know what's interesting about that article, and I was reading about it. The reason why they thought you know the Warriors weren't as good is actually because of Clay Thompson. They said Clay Thompson plays a big factor on the Warriors roster. Um, here's a direct line from them, right? They said, strong though they have been overall, the Warriors have not been a better team with Thompson on the floor. In fact, the Warriors have a net rating over 11 points higher with him off the floor than on. And the Warriors' other stars have been better with him on the bench. Um, you know, <laughs> Maybe statistic-wise that might be true, but to mm-hmm. me, the last few games, I felt like Thompson kind of carried us. You know, especially, I know he's been kind of quiet in the first half of a few games and the last game where he was pretty consistent throughout, but his second half performance and being able to close out games, I don't think is factored into that um, statement. Right. So, you know, to me, this article and the site kind of loses credibility once you make that type of statement, you know, but what do you think about that? <laughs> you know? It's crazy to me, but you know, maybe I'm a little biased here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm looking at the plus minus statistics for the whole playoffs um, within the Warriors roster here. And, you know, Tim Kawakami from The Athletic does an excellent job in accumulating these statistics here and kind of going through his list of the top guys, plus minus Wiggins plus 111, right? Draymond Green plus 97 for the whole playoffs, Otto Porter plus 91, number four is Curry plus 86, Jordan Poole, plus 54, and then there's Clay at plus 34 um, there. So he's still an, a plus, a plus yeah. <laughs> he's still a plus player, right, on the Warriors roster, and it's by more than 20, you know, points here. You yeah. know, this is not a guy that's like, you know, maybe just plus five, and he's just kind of getting by um, staying on the floor. So – I like to look at the plus minus as more of a differentiator, as more as a key mm-hmm. stat, as more than anything, because that determines what your value is like while you're actually playing on the floor. Um, yeah. But I can also see why other outsiders can just look look at this Warriors team and maybe they haven't been watching all season or maybe they just mm-hmm. watch sporadically and just say, you know what? I've seen Clay brick, you know, two, two games <laughs> out of six, two games out of five. Yeah. Um, here and just say you look you know maybe clay thompson is not himself anymore and that's mm-hmm. why the warriors are going to lose but i just don't buy that yeah exactly i agree i don't think clay's the problem you know so so we'll see how it goes but man that was somewhat discouraging for a lot of warrior fans you know to, to see that 20 percent chance so yeah um kind of going back to the previous series though the Warriors, they dismantled the maps pretty quickly, 4-1. to one. Um, A lot of people predicted a six-game series, maybe, maybe even seven um, there. 
And there was even some people like Charles Barkley predicting that the Mavs were going to win this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But what did you think about Steph Curry winning this Magic Johnson Western Conference Finals MVP award? Um, (laughs) I mean, you know, in other sports, like in baseball, they do have a league championship series MVP, right? Mm -hmm. And now I think the NBA is trying to adapt this other award too. I mean, do you think it's substantial? Do you think it's something to be proud of as a player? Oh, I don't know, man. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess speaking back to, um, you know, the series, it was interesting. DK Metcalf actually took the Warriors in five. Um, so he was actually right. <laughs> so shout out to DK Metcalf from the Seattle Seahawks. But yeah, I don't know, man. Like having a finals MVP or Western Conference final MVP, and, you know, they're, they're calling it the Magic Johnson Award. And then the Larry Bird Award for the Eastern Conference. I don't know if it means that much, you know, <laughs> to be honest with you. It's just another accolade that gets added to Steph's mantle. But I think his legacy isn't complete until he wins the finals MVP. And there's actually a lot of controversy swirling that, right? I think Draymond Green came out on one of his podcasts, said that Steph Curry gets doubled a lot, and so that opens up Clay and KD and other guys, and that's why KD's won it two times, you know. But then KD bl- blasted back on Twitter saying, "No, he disagrees with that." Right? So, I think there's a lot of people looking at this Finals MVP MVP as a legacy to Steph Curry. You know, um, I don't know if it makes or break his Hall of Fame career. In my opinion, is already a shoe in, but. You know, it's just another notch on his belt if he wins it, right? Like, I don't think that's the, like, one of the missing pieces. And there's a lot of um, narratives around Steph Curry not being clutch in the playoffs, you know, and not being clutch, especially in the finals. And to me, I think it's all BS, but, you know, that's, I think there's only one way to kind of, kind of shut those critics up is for him to actually win it there, so... We'll see. Like you said, this is a tough defense. You know, the Celtics are the number one defense in the league, the number two being the Warriors, right? But we have a way better offense, I think. So I'm wondering if we can overcome that and have Steph, you know, perform at the level that he needs to to be able to win that award. You know, so we'll have to see. But yeah, to me, you know, the conference MVPs, whatever. (laughs) It's just another marketing play, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm kind of going back in history here of the NBA, right? And which matchup really resembles this one? And I'm kind of looking back. I'm not saying that the players are very similar, but I'm just saying kind of the narrative is very similar to that. And I would say maybe like the 2003 NBA Finals with the Detroit Pistons going up against kind of like that aging mm-hmm. Lakers team yeah. on there, which had Shaq, um, Kobe Bryant, Karl Malone, Gary Payton. Um, And those guys, you know, the Lakers had a fairly decent offense, right? And Mm -hmm. the Pistons had a really good defense. And that great young defense ended up prevailing in that series. And I'm not saying that the Celtics are going to pull that off, but it kind of reminds me of that there. But at the same time, I think Detroit was a little bit more dominant throughout the Eastern, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Eastern Eastern playoffs. So... Man, I just don't know if the Celtics have enough offensive firepower 
in a seven game series. And I don't, I also don't, I also think the Warriors defense will be strong enough to withhold um, their, their key guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, the number two defense, and I think mainly because we play in the Western Conference, you know, we play in the Eastern Conference. I feel like we'll be shooing the number one for both categories, you know, both offensively and defensively. And to me, I felt like the Memphis's defense was a lot stronger and a lot more of a tougher matchup for us than the Celtics one. And you did mention that the series in the Eastern Conference Finals went pretty long. And there was a lot of injury concerns around all the players there, right? I think Horford and uh, Smart didn't even play the first two games, you know. Um, so are they going to be durable enough for the series and be able to keep up with the Warriors? And I feel like the Warriors, like, movement and um, speed might be just what we need to see if we can really test that defense out, you know. So um, I tell you this, though, the East – for the Celtics, this is going to be one of the toughest matchups for them that they faced in terms of a playoff series. You know, I think the Heat already gave them trouble, but um, I think everyone kind of knew that the Celtics were going to pull that out. Um, but they didn't win as dominant as everyone thought they would, right? Everyone thought that was going to go five games or six games and then went up seven, you know? And they, I think the reverse happened with the Warriors where everyone thought it was going to go seven games and it closed on five, right? So, so we'll see. I think um, the key is to stay healthy for both teams. You know, and that's kind of cliche to say, but it's. I think it's definitely true considering it's been a long season for both teams, right? Yeah, it's funny because you have two superstars. Um, one is Kevin Durant, who played for the Warriors, and then you have one um, Kyrie Irving, who played for the Celtics. Right? They ended up joining forces together, and now the teams that they were previously in are now in the finals, right? <laughs> so you kind of have to, I want, you kind of have to wonder how they are feeling, you know, watching this. Well, series. what about Kent Bazemore, right? Remember Kent Bazemore turned down extra money um, and turned down the Warriors to join the Lakers because he thought he'll have a bigger role and be able to win a championship a lot easier. You know, I think he, tweeted out on you know when the Warriors won that he had some regrets so imagine how they feel too or how he feels right I think that was probably the biggest example of what you're talking about yeah I can I can see how Bazemore could get regrets just because he's never won a championship during his pro career mm -hmm. but as KD um would stand I kind of wonder what his mindset is like because that would definitely um, increase his legacy if he wins multiple championships if he wins like four or five championships but right now he's just seen as kind of latching on to the Warriors dynasty leaving them and not being able to bring the Nets over the top right so right. yeah I mean the Nets have a lot of issues <laughs> you know I think Kyrie was actually kind of a distraction for them with the whole vaccine stuff, right? So it'll be interesting to see what they do next year. But yeah, I think I'm happy for the Warriors for how far they got either way. I think it's still very impressive. Um, and I'm kind of excited to see if GP2 and Andre Godala and Otto Porter, if they can um, come back in the series. Um, they return to practice this week, right? So that's, I think, a good sign that we'll at least see one of them. <laughs> um, and I think we need that defensive help. 
I think those guys are huge for us defensively. Well, it definitely means that Kerr will be less tempted to play guys like Damian Lee out there, Toscano Anderson, maybe even Kaminga during some crucial minutes here. And I'd rather have those three guys on the floor mm. than some of these role players off the bench, right? I mean, they had Moses Moody play last series as well, right? So we'll, <laughs> so maybe cutting into those ex- that experience, I think you're right. But, you know, I think having GP2 back, though, at least, would be, I think, you know, really helpful. He was on the very – I think his storyline um, got cut really short, unfortunately. You know, and that's another guy I think we can probably develop and stay with the Warriors long-term if uh, – you know, so I think he was the only one that I thought I really want back. I think even Igadala, when he's healthy, won't get a lot of minutes. Porter probably will if he gets back, but probably still off the bench. GP2, though, I think has you know, a lot more value to the Warriors if he can play. I think out of those three that are coming back, I would prefer to have Otto Porter Jr. back just because of his size. Mm and his front court help against the Celtics um, there. And just his ability to rebound and shoot the three as well. I think he will be really effective um, here. So I think he's got plenty of rest, right? He didn't play game five um, here. He was out for, he was out during game four. Yeah. Um, so I think he will be a very effective plus minus player coming in. Yeah. For this he has series. 11 days of rest, right? So since his injury, so I think, um, yeah, we'll probably see him, at, I think, for game two at the earliest, probably. I don't think they're going to rush him to game one. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree with you. And what did you think about that lineup with uh, Be- Belisa and Looney on the same court? You know, they kind of went big at the end of that Mavs series. I was kind of surprised that Carr ran that that defense, but it was effective. Belisa, I think, had one play where – uh, he gave up uh, points, but for the most part, he was pretty locked down. Um, that was an interesting call, don't you think? Yeah, I thought it was an effective call um, here just because I don't think the opposing team, the Maps, for example, have enough fire offensive firepower to exploit those guys on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. So they were able to put those two guys out there. And then you have a guy like Powell, for the maps, right? He's their center, supposedly. Yeah. He's not really a guy that you um, are really worried about, right? So they're able to play those guys, and you might need those two guys, especially Betelitsa in the finals sometime, right? Yeah, that's Looney, what I, was I think will be effective, but Betelitsa, mm-hmm. you may need the guy for a game or two um, here. And I'm just yeah. glad that Kerr was able to play guys like Betelitsa, Kaminga, Moody. Right, because you just never know when you need them for one game. I know, I know, and it goes to show the Warriors' culture as well that hey, practice hard, always be ready, because you might just be getting the call and you have to be effective right off the bench. And I think it goes a lot to show for the Warriors' coaching staff being able to encourage guys just to be ready. You know, so I think the system works, and that's why we're we we are what we are, but. Yeah, I don't know. I think the Jason Tatum and the Robert Williams um, matchup are going to be interesting. You know, especially I think Robert Williams is 
I think a lot of people are saying that he's going to be kind of a matchup problem for us because of his size, you know. Um, I'm just curious how often the Warriors will employ um, their zone defense mm-hmm. against the Celtics and and if that will be able to slow him down just a little bit, right? Yeah, and I think that's what worked for the Mavs series, right? I think the Mavs weren't ready for that zone. So, and then, oh, yeah, I think Horford might be an issue for us as well, right? I think that's going to be... Yeah, but yeah, do you think that zone will be effective? Um, did the Celtics see the zone against the Heat or any of the series? Do you know? I don't think they saw too much zone against the Heat, but they do have plenty of tape of the Warriors playing zone here. So it's not really a secret out there, and I'm sure they're going to study that for the next several days. Yeah, but it's like one thing to see it and one thing to actually experience it, right? So that's why I'm wondering if – you know, another team has employed it. I don't think so, right? So I think that's where, you know, endurance and all this stuff comes into play for the Celtics. I think they're going to be pressed and see what happens, you know? So mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see what game plan Kerr goes with here, uh, both defensively and offensively. So, All right. What do you think about the Giants lately here? Uh, they've been able to pull off some late comeback wins as, as in the last few days. Um, here and you know they beat the Phillies on Memorial Day. Um, any interesting thoughts coming out of that game? You know, if Evan Longoria has always been a guy where I've always had mixed feelings for, mainly because one, I thought when they first signed him, they kind of overpaid him. Um, you know, I, th- I just thought his contract was not worth his value. But then once he can play, he he gets pretty hot. You know, he gets hot on the bat, and he's pretty good defensively. But to me, injuries have always been a concern for that guy. You know, he's missed a lot of time. He's missed time since he started with the Giants. Um, but this last few games, he's showed why he's important. You know, he's came through some clutch hits, right, and starting to fill that role a little bit of what um, Buster Posey was doing, you know, like having clutch home runs and turning the tides on a few of these games. Um, so to me, I think that was a, one of the biggest surprises. And then in terms of um, pitching, there was an interesting decision that happened with the last Philly game. I'm not sure you caught this, but uh, Logan Webb, I think they were up three or up four to three uh, in the ninth inning. 98 pitches left, run, run lead. And then Kaplan actually decided to keep Webb in there. You know, even though there was a bunch of uh, lefties coming up, he had Jarlin Garcia in the bullpen, left-handed pitcher warming up, and he actually left in Webb, you know, to kind of finish the game. But, you know, Webb was on an 0-1 pitch count, and he gave up a run, you know, gave up a home run there. So, but I think in the day, it was still saved by... Um, Saved by a Castelli on a walk-off, or not really a walk-off, but he um, got, took the lead in the next inning, and the bullpen was able to take care of business after that. So that was an interesting decision by him. You know, I, I thought that was like a little bit of, you know, um, Kapler kind of taking chances. Uh, a lot of people did criticize Kapler for being too much of a stat guy, and I think that decision. I don't think it was based on stats, you know. I think it was based on keeping Webb in there and Webb, Webb getting hot and trying to keep him have his confidence up, you know. And Jeannie Lou says Webb was out, 
but Web said no. Oh, I guess uh, Kapler wanted Web out, but Web said no. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that came out that it was a joint decision between Web and Kapler, but ultimately I think Kapler had to say, right? So I don't know. Those are my two thoughts. I think from a defensive perspective, um, our bullpen was the worst in May, so I think that's also really concerning. Um, maybe that also played the factor into keeping Web in there. Um, but yeah, Giants offense is pretty resilient, so. Yeah. What do you think about this whole month and and how the Giants have been playing? I don't think the Giants have been playing very well, to be honest with you. They lost two out of three against the lowly uh, Cincinnati Reds um, here. I thought they really uh, butchered that series. And, uh, you know, they won game one against the Phillies. And, you know, they were riding Logan Webb's um, great performance. Um you know, in terms of con, you know, in terms of fans criticizing the manager for this, like I think the manager is just going to get criticized no matter what happens, right? If Garcia gives up a home run, you know, to um, to Schwarber, and gives up that lead, then he's going to get criticized for not leaving weapon, you know, and saying that okay, you don't really believe in your number one pitcher in the rotation um, here. So I think in the long term, I think it will benefit the Giants just because the manager having faith in your number one starter and leaving him in to try to complete the game, I think will be a lot more beneficial than risking just one little game um, out here in May. So I think it will give Logan Webb a lot of confidence, right, for mm-hmm. the rest of this series to to try to finish off games. And I thought Kaplan did the great thing. He, he went old school and allowed his – workhorse to complete it yeah yeah i agree and i think the one thing is that for um for fans in terms of uh you saying the cincinnati reds are kind of lowly but the thing is right before our series they smashed <laughs> the cubs you know they had 20 to 5 uh win over them i think there was some momentum that came to play there and they were playing at home as well you know so i think they brought some of that momentum to the series and that's why they were able to pull off two wins um but in the end i think the giants kind of figured out how to win right so um Jenny lu has a comment saying you should discuss the fantasy football slap oh yeah i forgot to put that in the notes but let's talk about that um mm-hmm. do you want to recap what happened or you want me to give the spiel on that fantasy football slab. <laughs> yeah, so you basically, um, you know, you had Cincinnati Reds outfielder Tommy Pham. He's in the same fantasy football league as Jock Peterson. And apparently Jock Peterson, quote unquote, exploited the fantasy football rules in terms of stacking guys on his bench, right? As opposed to leaving them, what, on waiver wire? Yeah, I guess. Um, here. So. So it was something along those lines. Tommy Pham thought Jock Peterson was cheating. He probably lost money in this fantasy league, probably lost the whole league here, and he needed someone to blame. So he blamed Jock Peterson throughout all these years. He finally found Jock um, this past week, looked at him, gave him a slap on the face or a punch, whatever it was. Um, Jock Peterson didn't fight back. The MLB uh, league office reviewed it. Um, they said, okay, well, that wasn't cool. Here's a three-game suspension for that here. So what are your thoughts about kind of what happened and 
Um, do you think the league um, acted very quickly, you know, after this yeah. incident? Yeah, I mean, this is like the baseball version of the Will Smith slap, right? The slap heard from <laughs> Century or whatever it is. But, yeah, I thought the league did a good job. You know, there was videos of the slap happening. You know, I, I think this type of thing also happened before a game. If it settled outside of the game, I don't think the league should have done anything. But, geez, like, come on. <laughs> like, why would you slap the dude <laughs> for fantasy football and the three-game suspension? He probably lost more money than losing that fantasy league, right? Um, based on what Jock Peterson said, it was over Jeff Wilson Jr. He was stashing JWJ. I mean, he wasn't even a great fantasy player overall so kind of ridiculous a little immature if you ask me right um and genie lou agrees i think the whole thing was ridiculous especially when jock showed off the gift that pissed off him <laughs> yeah i don't know if you saw the gift but it was a a gift that went around for um that jock showed the the uh, the reporters when asked about it uh, i saw it was really immature uh, Fam, I thought Jock actually handled it pretty well. I was actually surprised, right? He didn't slap back, held his composure. In some ways, I thought that was like the most mature thing I saw Jock Peterson do. Um, and he's not known for his maturity either, right? So that's why it was impressive to me that he was able to have some restraint in that situation. But what do you think? No, I'm just glad that it was this way and not the other way around, right? Where Jock Peterson would be the one getting suspended, especially coming off, you know, a hot performance uh, this past week where he hit, what, three home runs mm -hmm. um, in one game, eight, eight RBIs um, here. So I'm just glad that Jock Peterson um, didn't fight back mm -hmm. and was kind of taking this pretty lightly afterwards with reporters. Um, that's my initial thoughts um, here, but hopefully it doesn't screw up his production, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's been hot, you know. I think John Peterson's uh, one of those guys that we found in, you know, for cheap, and he's paid off in dividends at this point. <laughs> so I would say he won a few games for the Giants. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think his – He's coming out looking pretty good in this whole situation, which is um, excellent for the Giants. You know, so. All right, let's uh, move on to our picks of the week. All right, picks of the week. So, you know, it's a Warriors and Celtics series happening. So I think we'll just start off the bat with that. No lines, no Vegas lines or anything, but what do you think? What do you think the final um you know match of score will be for all for the whole series so there's no line for game one right going in here not yet, not yet. i think there is one but let's i mean there's no point in picking game one i think i mean if you want to i can look up the lines <laughs> but no let's talk about the series prediction overall yeah um here my thoughts about it um i think the celtics will not be as fatigued as a lot of people think they will be mm -hmm. um here I think they'll have what, like about four days of rest or so since Sunday. Uh, but at the same time, they do have to travel one of those days across the country while the Warriors have been able to stay home. So usually the visiting team or the underdog, they get to steal game one a lot of times. But I think the Warriors will be a lot more prepared for game one 
right? So I think the Warriors will take game one. I think the, the Celtics will take game two um, here. And I think the Warriors will be able to pull this off, right? I think they're going to take a 3-2 lead going into Boston. They're going to probably lose game five or game six there. Mm-hmm. And then coming home in game seven, it's great to have home court advantage, right? Like during this time. And I think Curry and I think Green will be able to pull this series off um, here. So I'm going to pick the Warriors in seven games. What about you, Jerry? Awesome, awesome. And I did find the game one line, so let's pick that after. I I, okay. I feel like it's uh, the lines are actually pretty interesting, so let's pick it. <laughs> um, I agree with you in a lot of ways, but I feel like the Warriors are just unstoppable at home. You know, I think that's the only part where I'm going to disagree with you on. I don't think they're going to lose a game at home. Um, hmm. But I do see the Warriors actually stealing a game on the road, um, which will be interesting. But, oh, man, it's going to be a tough pick, though, right? Because it's, you know, I don't see the Warriors winning in five either. So that's why it's a little bit of a, a tricky, um, you know, series pick. I do have yeah. a lot of confidence that this could go a little bit longer. All right, I think I'm going to agree with uh, David Kim here, who left a comment. I'll do Warriors in six. I think that's about right for me. You know, like, you're going to win the ones at home, first two games, um, probably lose game three, maybe win um, you know, the game four, and then probably lose one of the uh, games at home, wherever, but win on the road. So, yeah, I think Warriors in six sounds pretty good. Hopefully that's the case. Um yeah. All right, let's pick game one as well. We'll kind of circle back on that. I think we both agree Warriors probably will win game one. And then I think Vegas agrees, right? Because a live for game one is Warriors minus three and a half. And the over-under, pretty low, actually. It's 211.5. Um, it's over-under. So who do you have? First, I'll pick the over-under. I think it's going to go under here. I think Boston's going to have a really tough time scoring in this game. Um Initial thoughts, three and a half going into this. I think the Warriors are going to win by more than eight points um, here. I think I think the Warriors will be very well prepared going into this game. I think they're going to have a hot start. And I could see them building like a 15-point lead going into the fourth mm-hmm. quarter um, here. So I think they're going to blow that three and a half point mark, that three and a half point out of, out of the water here. So I'm going to go with the Warriors. I think they're going to... They're going to crush the Celtics in game one, and they're going to go with the under. What about you? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of the reasons why they want to pick this game, because I think I agree with you on both accounts. Um, the under, because 211.5 is pretty low, but this is the number one and number two defense, right? So I expect it to be pretty low throughout this whole series. Um, and I think the lines are kind of reflecting that. Um, as I talked about on this show a lot, the normal uh, NBA line is really over under is around 220 is the average. So if you get below the average, you should really take the under. If you go above the average, take the over. Um, Cause Vegas kind of adjusts for what they think will happen. Right. And they mm-hmm. think what will happen is the under. So, so yeah, I think 211.5 under sounds good. And then, yeah, the Warriors have been pretty good on game one. You know, I think even the Mavs game, they blew them out. Celtics, lost game one against the Heat, right? They, I know they didn't have um, 
Horford or Smart in the first game, but I think even with those guys, you can tell the Celtics didn't have that momentum, you know. So, so yeah, I think it takes a little bit for the Celtics to kind of get warmed up a little bit, uh, especially like you said, they had the travel day and all that stuff. So I think the Warriors minus three and a half sounds pretty good to me. All right. Well, for the picks this week, uh, let's just stick to basketball. <laughs> okay. Uh, here, I think those are two. Uh, Pretty solid ones uh, to leave off for the show. Um, special shout out to the to everyone who has commented, Jeannie Liu um, here, and also David Kim. Any anything you want to add, Jerry? No, no. I think uh, I think that was the hot topic of the week, right? It's to see, um, you know, see see the Warriors. I think the Bay Area is uh, pretty hyped about them, <laughs> you know. So. I thought it was kind of interesting that we were able to talk about the John Peterson thing. Um, I think we everyone's talked about that, like he, outside the Bay Area too. A lot of people thought that situation was so unusual that um, it didn't make ESPN headlines and stuff. So, yeah, you know that's one of the things. Um, that's one of the things that I like about doing this podcast is that we get to talk about a variety number of topics, not just like on football or the Niners. Um, here we get to talk about baseball we get to talk about football um basketball um and just even some political stuff sometimes too in relation to sports here as opposed to just being pigeonholed into talking about the 49ers and jimmy garoppolo and Debo samuel here and it would just be a very very mundane off season right of podcasting but the fact that we get to dive into these different topics um it's really cool in my opinion yeah. Do you want to talk about uh, Grant Cohn and uh, Javon Kinlaw situation real quick? <laughs> yeah, That's to be comment. honest, like I don't really have too much of a comment about that. Yeah, Just that <laughs> Grant has been under the skin of a lot of players here. And I think it's the wrong way to go about it. And I think a lot of guys like him, they try to pull this off because they can't really get a job with a major company. Right. They can't get mm -hmm. they can't get into ESPN. They can't get into the athletic. They may have a small role with Sports Illustrated or something. But at the same time, like, do you have to go that low to make a name for yourself? Yeah. I mean, for people that don't know what happened is Grant had his podcast um, on YouTube. Javon Kinlaw called in, basically criticized him for or criticizing him, right? Because I think what what Grant said was Kinlaw had like 80-year-old knees or something, basically talking down and disrespecting the guy, and Kinlaw just exploded on him, you know? And then they try to make up in the Niners' uh, training facility, Lynch's office. I think that was good. John Lynch kind of stepped in and, and tried to mitigate the situation. Um, I think the biggest difference, though, Mike, of what you talked about in terms of people are trying to get fame by doing yeah. this stuff is I think it's consistent for Cone and the fact that he's credentialed is what makes the biggest difference to me, right? Like if it's us on YouTube talking about it, I don't think anyone will care mainly because we're just one other podcast, but Grant Cone is credentialed, right? And I think credentialed should mean a lot. And remember, this is the team giving him a credential, so I think there needs to be some level of respect in terms of that as well. And to me, I felt like SI, who Grant Cohen works for, needs to step up a little bit and, and maybe replace him, especially if so many teams are, or so many players are complaining about him, 
You know, this isn't the first time. Yeah, but what I'm really trying to say is that he's really not a large part of SI's publication team, right? And mm -hmm. he's not really the face of the 49ers, right? You don't see him going yeah. on any talk shows. You don't see him being really much of a guest on other people's podcasts um, here. He's just like a tiny little player. He's a tiny media guy, you know, yeah. trying to make a name for himself here. And I just think he's really going at it the wrong way to really um, dehumanize, you know, uh, one of the 49ers players just so he can make a name for himself. Yeah, um, I think he, he's like riding the coattails of his dad too. His dad's yeah. like a pretty famous writer, Lil Kong, um, who covered the Niners when the Niners were bad too, you know. <laughs> so he's a pretty old school guy, not as critical or as aggressive as Grant was. I think that's also why he's more respected in the industry and possibly why he got credentialed, you know. So I'm not going to throw that out there because of the sole reason why, but probably has a lot to do with it you know so anyways i think that's <laughs> probably you know a tangent but i thought it was worth talking about mainly because that was a hot topic this week for for niners you know so yeah definitely and if if, if this was just a 49er podcast then we would definitely <laughs> dive really deep into that um here all right cool all right um i guess the last thing is mandatory camp starts on the 14th Got to see what happens with Jimmy G and Debo on the 14th. Does Debo show up to camp? Does Jimmy G get cut? The clock is ticking there. So <laughs> we'll check in every week on that, I think. All right, guys. Well, that concludes this week's episode of the MJ Sportscast here. We'll tune in next week. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the MJ Sportscast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the MJ Sportscast at Mike 408 at Mind of Jerry 11. Tune in next week for another exciting episode.